0: Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Feminist Current Affairs Programs, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Amy McMattry. This show was produced on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to elders both past and present of these lands, as well as those you are hearing us from today. On this episode of Women on the Line, you'll be listening to an interview with Professor Jayashree Kolkani, Professor of Psychiatry at the Alfred and Monash University, speaking on mental ill health and reproductive hormones. This interview is hosted by radio producer Genevieve Siggins. I'll let Genevieve introduce Professor Kolkani and the fascinating content of the show.
1: Today, I have a very special guest on the show, her name is Professor Jayashree Kokkani, and she's the Pre- Professor of Psychiatry at the Alfred and Monash University. She's also the founder and director of the Monash Alfred Psychiatry Research Centre, a large group dedicated to discovering new treatments, new understanding and new services for people with a range of mental illnesses. She is internationally acknowledged as a leader in the field of women's mental health, in particular for her innovative work on reproductive hormones and mental illness. Today, I'm talking to Jayashree about the link between mental health and reproductive hormones. In particular, the impact of hormonal contraception on mental health. I'm super excited to talk about this topic. I know many of my cisgendered female friends have had varying experiences on contraception, and even for me personally. Uh, The discussion on mental illness and reproductive hormones is becoming more talked about with new research and now especially voices like Jayashree's leading the way. Jayashree, how did you become interested in women's mental health and in particular the link between reproductive hormones and mental illness?
2: So it's a bit of a long story, but in actual fact, when I was doing my training in psychiatry as a psychiatry registrar, uh, in those days there was the uh, mental health institutions, big institutions, and one of them was called Royal Park Hospital near Royal Park Zoo. And in fact, when I was there, um, I was allocated the uh, back ward, that is where the women were located. And at those days, it was pretty horrible. Women were and men were um, admitted to mental health institutions for years and years and uh, so the back ward which had um, been set up for women and that was the women's only ward um, had women who'd been there for decades and in my job as a registrar I would spend quite a long time speaking with each individual patient and many of the women's stories began with I was fine until I had my child Um, or some of the women said I think it's my hormones, Doc, you know, and these comments kept coming up. And also the comments that were made was nobody believes me, nobody thinks there's anything in this story about it's my hormones that have caused the mental ill health, or particularly the women who had a postnatal or a postpartum, um, either severe depression or psychosis, and it just never went away. And that started me thinking. you know, that I should do something about exploring this intuitive observation that many of the women clients had in those ward settings. And that then sent me off onto a whole range of activities. One was to try and find out what was the uh, data, the research data, particularly in the animal area. And uh, there was a little, not a lot. So this is going back into 1990 and I um, also found a a German psychiatrist at the time, Professor Heinz Hefner, and he had been working in the area of estrogens, and uh, in an animal study, had shown that oestrogen has a um, positive effect on psychiatric symptoms in the brain. And so I took that and I listened to my patients' stories and I saw more women with the same sorts of stories and and that, plus the animal experiments, plus also some um, talking to endocrine or hormone experts in back in Victoria. Professor Henry Berger was one of the earliest uh, experts that I spoke to, who was not in psychiatry, but in endocrinology. And so I kind of pieced together this possibility that, um, that mental health was impacted by women's hormones. And that's how the field started, and that's how I've grown um, in terms of developing various clinical trials in which we actually did show that adding estrogen to the treatment um, in women who had schizophrenia, for example, improved their symptoms. That then led on to research in mood disorders, so the depression, PMDD, um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, perimenopausal depression, the pill, a whole range of areas. So um, yeah, I, I always think it is really rewarding when research is closely aligned with the individuals who are asking for the help, who have the lived experience of the condition, and that researchers is working in, in that area, like with a face-to-face contact with the individuals, you have dialogues that are really meaningful and really helpful um, for the person with lived experience to tell you, what they think the next round of research should be or what the issues are, and vice versa, that when you're actually working in a in trying to develop a new treatment, you, you work with people. So I don't do research on subjects. I work in collaboration with people who have a lived experience of an illness, and hopefully together we come up with something new.
1: Um, I just wanted to talk about as well, I think it would be good for our listeners to really get a sense of how reproductive hormones affect women's moods, by talking about PMS, which is premenstrual syndrome. Uh, how do reproductive hormones cause PMS symptoms, especially mood changes and overall mental well being?
2: So it's really important to understand that hormones like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and a whole range of other hormones that the pituitary gland makes to regulate the levels of estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone, that all of these hormones we we know are involved with reproduction, right? They regulate egg being released. They regulate um, the cycle, the monthly cycle. And then also uh, there are changes in these hormones when a woman is um, approaching menopause. So we're all very familiar with the reproductive side of these hormones. But what is really critical is that all of these hormones are absolutely potent neurosteroids. By that, I mean that they're brain hormones as well. And that took a long time to understand. And it was really only from the 1990s onwards, and particularly in the, in the uh, 2005 onwards, that there's been much more um, research at a, at a basic level in animal models, but really showing that these are potent brain hormones. So once we have that knowledge in the neuroscience field, it doesn't take too much then to understand that when somebody comes in and they say, you know, I'm okay for about three weeks of every month, and then for one week of every month, I just my whole life is turned upside down. And there is a difference between PMS, which you described as PMS is premenstrual syndrome. And what I talked about as premenstrual dysphoric disorder, they're on a spectrum, the PMS is kind of the baby end of the spectrum is the smaller um, dysfunction of, or feelings of discomfort right through to PMDD, which is a really horrible major depression that makes women quite moribund. And so once a month for about 10 days, you know, some women are extremely affected in their mental health and it overlaps with what's going on in their monthly hormones. So when estrogen is low, the mood is low. So estrogen is the good hormone. It's lovely hormone in the brain. It acts in the brain like an antidepressant. It acts in the brain like an antipsychotic. And progesterone can also be an anti-anxiety hormone. They've got these other functions in the brain as well as regulating ovulation and and then reproduction and having a baby and so on. So what we're seeing is that many women and about 80% of the reproductive age group experience some discomfort in the week prior to having a menstrual bleed right through in a spectrum, uh, getting severer and more severe, and at the PMDD, which is uh, affecting about 10 to 15% of the reproductive age group of women, there is this crashing, severe depression that comes on really suddenly. And so women say, I'm fine one day, and the next day, I don't have any energy, I can't get out of bed, I just get fog in the head, I can't think, I can't concentrate, my memory goes, you know, to pieces. I'm just so angry. Um, I'm crying, I can't control it. Um, So quite severe depression. And even with suicidal thinking, that's how bad the depression gets. Some women feel like hurting themselves or do hurt themselves or think about suicide or ending it all. It's a very major form of depression. And then just as suddenly, it lifts. And that happens often when the woman starts having her period uh, or just into the period. So that's the classical PMDD. But what I look for in my clinic when I'm working with women who have PMDD is, is there a cyclical pattern? It may not exactly be in this exact sort of one week before having a menstrual bleed, but often you'll get the picture that women will say, it comes on suddenly, and it comes on about every four or five weeks. And then I'll feel really, really bad for a week, 10 days, even two weeks, and then it goes suddenly. And that's not the picture of something that is like a major depression, an ordinary major depression, which is bad enough. But that usually comes on more gradually. And you can pin down the fact that you know, there's problems at work, there's problems in relationship, there's just a general dissatisfaction, or there's a loss. Somebody died, somebody left. You know, there's there's things going on, and then the woman has a growing de- depression. The other thing I really want to make it clear, though, is this is a brain disorder. Yes, it involves the reproductive hormones and the estrogen, progesterone work on the ovaries and they work on the uterus, but this is a brain condition. PMS, PMDD is a brain condition. So please, to you and your friends, don't go and have a hysterectomy and get your ovaries out or whatever people do, because I see too many sad stories where women have thought, if I just get rid of it all, then I'm going to be fine. That's not uh, the first or even, you know, like step number six or seven or eight. You know, that's not a consideration up front because there is a, a a sort of brain not a sort of there is a brain hormone effect so even if you remove the end organs it's still going to be a cycle in the brain women on the line
0: and right around australia you've been listening to women on the line we've been speaking with dryashri kulkani professor of psychiatry the Alfred and Monash University about mental ill health and reproductive hormones. Continue to tune in to hear more on this topic.
1: I think especially talking about synthetic progesterone is a good segue into talking about contraception, which I know um, you've investigated a lot between the link between mental health and hormonal contraception, like the pill. Uh, Could you explain some of your findings in these studies, especially if there is a link between mental illness and hormonal contraception?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that again came from um, my female patients was uh, I observed that many of the women said things like, um, "I I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm depressed, and nothing is really new in my environment. I've got the same boyfriend, the same work, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Um, but I just feel terrible. I just don't feel joy. And when I looked at what was going on, there was a pattern emerging about the pill the oral contraceptive pill that the women were taking. Now, the pill, we call it the pill as if it's one thing, but it's actually not. There are many, many different forms of the pill, as well as there are different types. So we talked about estrogen and progesterone, two main hormones, and most pills combine estrogen and progesterone, and that's what's called the combined oral contraceptive pill. There are, however, uh, contraceptives that are just progesterone. So the commonest form is the straw that's under the skin called Implanon or the Mirena IUD, which is an IUD, intrauterine device, and that has progesterone. And so those and the, and the morning after pill and also the mini pill. So they are progesterone only. So they're all just progesterone, no estrogen. So what? has been shown in our studies and other people around the world is that the progesterone only pills or the progesterone only devices like the straw under the skin or the IUD worsen depression or create depression in some women not all women but some women and again this applies you know that some women are very vulnerable to their hormonal fluctuations whereas other women are not So in the vulnerable group, the progesterone-only pill or the progesterone-only hormone contraception can actually create a depression where there wasn't one or make a depression that had been under the woman's control much, much worse. And it's an important factor that people need to consider when they are looking for a contraception. Or if they're on a contraception and they can't quite work out what the hell is going on, you know, why am I feeling so low? Think about what contraception you've started. It, usually this is a bit more insidious in onset, so it takes about two cycles, maybe three cycles for it to become clear that something's not quite right. And it doesn't, it doesn't create the sort of moribund total take to bed type depression. It takes the form of just being extra irritable, extra hostile, extra um, not able to really laugh out loud and experience the joys, the real highs of life, just to kind of be muted, but to also lose perspective. So in an argument, for example, things just get blown up out of proportion and everyone's going, what the hell is wrong with you? Um, It's it's that sort of level of, of depression. So um, the combined oral contraceptive pill, again, it's not one pill. We've got so many varieties on the market and each of those has a different progesterone in it. So if what we did in the study was we started to look at the combined oral contraceptive pill and the the progesterone only and make a league ladder, if you like, of what was the, the worst for creating depression and what was the best. And I'm sad to say that there's not a lot that were really good for mood. There's really only one, and that's a, a more expensive pill. Um, its trade name is Zoli, Z-O-E-L-Y, and it's got nomigesterol and an estradiol. So nomigesterol is the type of progesterone it has, and that's a mood-good pill. But there's many on the market that are really quite awful for mood, and particularly the progesterone-only pills are the worst because they don't have the nice estrogen to balance them at all. But even the other pills, there's some some horror stories about the depression that can hit when a vulnerable woman takes the pill with a particular type of progesterone that's not good for mood.
1: Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the medical bias as well that happens, uh, especially when cisgendered women go to the doctor. Um, especially since, and I think you stated in an article, um, women experience mental illness in higher numbers than um, our male counterparts. Um, And also just wanted to focus on uh, borderline personality disorder. So a female dominant diagnosis that you state carries enormous stigma. Could you explain why borderline personality disorder is problematic diagnosis and does it have to do with a lack of understanding around the fluctuation of female hormones?
2: It's a very good question, Genevieve. Um, Borderline personality disorder has got a long and tortured history. So it's, as it says, a condition that is seen as a personality disorder. Now, here's point number one, I don't agree with that, um, because the symptoms that that the person with borderline has uh, includes such things as deliberate self-harm, so often the um, person who slashes their wrists or burns themselves, and and, um, may not be trying to kill themselves, but they're trying to harm themselves. And there's an impulsivity. They're quite impulsive in in that kind of action. Um, There's often a sense of emptiness inside, um, problems with identity, not really knowing who they are, uh, problems with a fear of abandonment that, um, you know, in relationships they worry that the other person will disappear and and they will be abandoned. Um, There's flights of, you know, complete um, depression at times. Then the next day it can be quite, um, the person can be quite manic. Um, There's all kinds of self-destructive behaviours. So... This conglomerate, which is really quite diffuse, you know, they're they're not easy to put together, these symptoms, but these were put together and called personality disorder. And more women uh, than men were diagnosed with severe borderline personality disorder. And what we've done is very carefully take a bigger history from the individuals who've got diagnoses of borderline personality disorder. And what we found is, and many other researchers have done this in internationally as well, Mary Zanarini is a, is a, is a key worker in the field, um, have found that there's a long, awful trauma story in early life for many of the sufferers who've got a, a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, that there's really horrible stories of childhood abuse, childhood verbal, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, Once we try and understand what has happened, I actually think we come to a better realisation that this is a person who's actually a survivor, not a terrible person who's got sort of a, a weak personality or a disordered personality, but an individual who's actually a trauma survivor. Uh, They've been a victim, a trauma victim, but often the women I meet are incredible. Like despite the horror stories, they've pulled themselves out and managed to get themselves uh, an education, a job, a partner, a children, you know, I mean, really got on with it despite the odds. And yet um, they can be labelled as having a personality disorder. So that's what I object to. I think what this condition has a lot in common with is post-traumatic stress disorder, which we know about and we know about it in veterans, war veterans in particular, who've gone on maneuvers in a a war zone and then a grenade goes off and they have a terrible response. But when you look at those symptoms, there's a very common thread that runs through those particular uh, symptoms and the same symptoms that somebody who's had a terrible early traumatic life um and and what she experiences there's a similarity so there's a new diagnosis called complex ptsd which is part of the world health organization classification system that's not the american dsm system which unfortunately is in common use in australia and the dsm system doesn't have complex ptsd but complex ptsd better suits particularly a lot of women who've had that horrible story of trauma in their early life and then subsequent traumas, by the way, we also get away from the the label of a personality disorder, which is another kind of stigma to, to put into somebody, you know, your personality stuffed. Well, that's a pretty terrible thing to tell anyone, you know, because you're saying the essence of you is stuffed. That's not good. What do the hormones have to do with this? So in, people who are traumatised in early life, their hormone world becomes changed and altered. You, you know yourself, if, you, if you're facing a trauma, if you're facing some kind of um, event, you'll gear yourself up for it. Your pulse rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, um, you, you might sweat, you know, you've got a whole bunch of physical reactions to stress and trauma. So imagine in the person who's living in that stressful situation for most of her early years, it has to take a toll on her body as well as her mind, as well as her brain. So what happens here is the stress hormone levels get activated and stay activated way beyond what they should be. So here you have a, a young person in a stressful household who's kind of living life on the edge. It's as if they're always ready to to fight or flight or, you know, run away or protect themselves. And that elevated cortisol and other stress hormones impact on their gonadal hormones. So they impact, impact on estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. And hence you have a greater incidence of PMDD, that's the depression cyclically, Um, Or other physical health conditions related to the gonadal hormones, because the two hormone systems, all the hormone systems talk to each other. So if you've got a change in one, you're going to have a change in other. And that's why we do see a connection in some, but not all, uh, women who have
1: PMDD might also have an early life trauma story. I just wanted to finish on your advice to women to better understand their reproductive hormones and what they should do if they need to help, need help or further information. Um,
2: it's I think it's really important that um, you know any anyone who takes any medication, and I'm including the contraceptive pill in that group. Um, you need to know all the ins and outs about it. There are leaflets that are in, in packets of the pill, for example, or with anything, but it's not. Uh, it's, it's, it's very much your job and importantly your job to ask the questions. And if you have an observation, like you notice something goes wrong every month, then that's valid. Your observations are valid and they need to be raised with your treating team because the pill, for example, there are many different types. And if one doesn't suit you because it's making you feel depressed, that is true and valid. So don't dismiss it please take it up with your doctor and make sure that you've got um, information that you can provide also, that you've read about the effects of the pill, that you've you know, gone to the general sort of um, uh, literature and, and Google has its good and bad bits, but you know, there is information there to then back up your observations and, and have a, a discussion. Your doctor will hopefully listen um, because there is more information coming out there. But we also know that there are different styles of practising medicine and sometimes people are more collaborative than others. So find find that match because you need someone you can trust to, to work through the issues with you.
0: You've been listening to Jayashree Kokani professor of psychiatry at the Alfred and Monash University about mental ill health and reproductive hormones. An interview hosted by radio producer Genevieve Siggins. Women on the Line is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR, the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. The theme song for Women on the Line is produced by Ripley Cavara. I'm Amy McMurtry. Thanks for tuning into the show.